Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. Let me welcome to the Eagle's Nest uh, my good friend, Dr. Leslie Fenwick, Professor of Education Policy, Dean Emeritus at Howard University School of Education, and Dean in Residence at the American Association of Colleges for Teacher Education. And she's got a brand new book, Jim Crow's Pink Slip. And from what I understand, what you've done with the book is, and and expand on this, you've exposed the decade-long repercussions of a too-little-known result of Brown versus Board of Education decision. Uh, please, it, what expand on that. Well, good morning, Joe. And uh, first, I want to tell you thank you for just being the human and civil rights activist that you are. So I just wanted to start there with a thank you. Thank you. Um, the book uh, is intended to do exactly what you said, to tell an untold story about Um, what happened to the black educator pipeline after the Brown decision. And as your listening audience knows, uh, the Brown decision was um, the landmark decision that integrated public schools and uh, led the way for an integrated society in the U.S. And prior to that time, we really had an apartheid society in the United States relative to all of our institutions, whether that was schools, Uh, colleges and universities, transportation. Um, In the book, I'm trying to um, eradicate or eliminate several myths. One is that Brown never mandated the closure of uh, black segregated schools. And uh, the other is that blacks didn't leave the education professions after Brown to pursue other career options. They were forced out due to racist notions about black men, as principals being in leadership positions over white male and female teachers and black teachers being in authoritative positions over white children. And so one of the um, unfulfilled promises of Brown is that we defined Brown as integrating the student population, but we left black teachers and principals um, out of that equation. And, and and how did it manifest itself? Who was it? Boards of education? How did that happen? Much like um, what we're seeing today, it happened from, uh, through boards of education, superintendents, state legislators, all of these um, bodies which were exclusively white at the time. Um, rallied, particularly in the 17 states that operated dual systems, apartheid systems. Most of those states were in the South, but those states went as far north as Delaware and as far west as um, Arkansas and Oklahoma. Hmm. And so uh, these activities, these legislative activities um, and local um, activities resulted in the the firing, dismissal, and demotion of about 100,000 black principals and uh, teachers. Now, here's the interesting thing about this story. The mm-hmm. black, and this is the untold piece that has never been written about in a book. 
the blacks who were fired and dismissed mm-hmm. and demoted were more qualified than the whites who replaced them. And um, they were more qualified in terms of experience, more qualified in terms of the likelihood of holding a master's or doctoral degree, or even a bachelor's degree. So we rarely talk about in um, research and scholarship or social commentary about the arc of racism capturing blacks even when they exceed the mark and outperform whites. And so this was one of the, this is one of the pieces of this story. And um, because it's an untold story, I really yeah. tried to make sure that it was meticulously documented. How, how did you, um, I mean, when you, how did you, uh, how did you, where did you have to go? Was, were there legal cases? <clears throat> um, did, did these administrators, uh, teachers, etc. Did they file lawsuits um, since it was, as you say, not documented in, you know, in common discussions? Uh, we all are familiar with Ernie Green and, and mm-hmm. uh, Melba Peel and Ruby Bridges. We, we've seen those images. But mm-hmm. you're right. We, you know, n- n- hardly anything has ever been written or are discussed socially um, about uh, the impact you just said with teachers and administrators. So it must have been difficult uh, trying to uh, research um, the uh, the book um, <clears throat> Jim Crow's Pink Slip. Well, you're right. And in fact, Chapter 4 of the book, um, Litigating Jim Crow, is all is a summary and commentary of all the lawsuits that were filed by uh, the black principals and teachers who were fired, dismissed, and demoted. Most of those, almost all of those lawsuits um, were litigated by the NAACP at the time. And one of the interesting things um, at at this particular time, uh, Thurgood Marshall, the nation's first African-American Supreme Court justice, was an attorney with the NAACP, as you well know, and he was a uh, chief litigator on many of these cases. And the most egregious case that he found was in a uh, rural Georgia um, school, um, literally with a dirt floor where the teacher, I'm sorry, where the principal had a bachelor's degree from Fort Valley State um University, yeah, historically black college, right? Mm-hmm. And a historically black college, and a master's degree from uh, Columbia University. <laughs> that principal was uh, fired and replaced by uh, a white male who was a milkman. So, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait um, a minute, Doctor Fenwick, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> so I know that sounds unbelievable. It is. It is does. Wait, a, a milkman. Wait, now was this an educated milkman or what? Uh, no, he just he, uh, Thurgood Marshall just documents that he was a milkman. And one of the things that I say in the book is we have, you know, some earlier studies um, projected about thirty-eight thousand exceptionally credentialed black principals and teachers replaced by lesser qualified whites across wow. the 17 dual system states from like 1954 well into the 1970s. 
um, really tipping over into the early 1980s. Um, but my book found that that number was underestimated and rises slightly higher than 100,000 um, educators being displaced and replaced state by state by lesser qualified whites. And so one of the questions that I'm asking the reader to really grapple with is where might our educational system be had these individuals who, were, who held more academic credentials, who had attended uh, HBCUs as undergraduate students um, and gone on to graduate school um, at uh, five um, nationally prestigious uh, colleges and universities, including Columbia University, New York University, Michigan, Ohio State, Iowa, University of Chicago, um, where might our education system be had these individuals not been purged? That's the first question I'm asking the reader to um, examine. The second question is, um, and it's really more of a statement than a question, is about how this history of constricting the black educator pipeline led us to where we are. So uh, one myth that operates in the public mind is that after Brown, um, career options opened up to blacks in other fields, and they left education. And that's just mm, not mm -hmm. um, historical. That is not factual. Blacks mm -hmm. were flushed and purged out of the integrating system because of racist, white racist notions and actions um, that were in opposition to the law of the land, which at the time um, was brown. So today, uh, less than 8% uh, of the nation's teachers, no, less than 8% of the nation's 3.2 million teachers are African-American. Less than 11% of the nation's nearly 90,000 principals are African-American. And less than 3% of the nation's nearly uh, 13,800 superintendents are African-American. And there's a clear history here about why those statistics exist. When I was a young scholar, um, and began kind of looking at this issue of the underrepresentation of blacks in teaching, in the principalship, and the superintendency, these, especially these critical policy um, positions. Uh, I was told that this history that I examined in the book was not relevant to the underrepresentation that we see more well, currently. Well, what, and what, here what does that mean, not relevant? That. Who makes that decision? Who, who told you they, it wasn't relevant? Well, I won't name the senior scholar that told me this, um, but I was determined to show that there was a linkage um, between this history of firing and demoting black principals and teachers and where we are now relative to educator workforce mm -hmm. diversity. The reason this is so important is, you know, in the 80s, um, uh, we had many statements about uh, the nation's school children could ill afford to have exclusively white authority figures in their schools. Um, we also can't afford to have the content, imagery, and authorship of curricular materials in our schools be exclusively white. So we still have work to do, and there's lots of research now 
that speaks to uh, the benefits that accrue to uh, children of color when they're in highly diverse staffed schools. They're less likely to be expelled or suspended. They're more likely to graduate high school. They're less likely to be misplaced in special education, and they're more likely uh, to be uh, placed in gifted education. Additionally, you know, like more recent studies found, uh, I think a study by uh, a group of researchers at Johns Hopkins and the National Bureau of Education Research, that um, black principals and teachers make a difference in the academic outcomes, including the likelihood to attend and graduate from college of black students. Now, I'm not talking about race matching children and teachers mm-hmm. and principals, but what I am saying is this history um, that purged black educators, the nation's most credentialed educators at the time, um, from public schools has harmed us. Uh, these black educators who were purged had education at HBCUs. They, because of the law of the land, could not get graduate education outside of HBCUs in the dual system states, so they went north, and they happened to have attended the nation's most prestigious graduate schools or some of the nation's most prestigious graduate schools. And in the book, I talk about them doing an academic uh pilgrimage and then returning to the South to teach Mm -hmm. um, in -hmm. black schools, many of which, most of which were underfunded. But the great asset of black schools in the segregated South was uh, these black teachers who weren't just warm nurturers, they were superior in terms of three things. One, their academic preparation. Two, their exposure to an integrated educational setting. They left HBCUs and had graduate experiences and social experiences and uh, Northeastern and Midwestern um, graduate Mm -hmm. schools, and also their commitment to anti-racism and to um, an integrated society. Those more than 100,000 individuals who were purged created a loss in the public school system that we in 2021 going on 2022 are still grappling with. And we're grappling with it because at that time, the racist assumptions that undergirded the elimination of these black educators um, was integrated into our integrated, integrating public school system. Um, And so we've never really, achieved um, the promise of Brown in so many ways uh, Hmm. because we turned the conversation to exclusively talking about About students ratios related to black and white students and not court mandated requirements to integrate leadership, faculty, and staff positions. All right. And, and, and uh, the book, let me, let me say what our, our, our guest, the author of uh, Jim Crow's Pink Slip, is Dr. Leslie uh, Fenwick, professor of education policy, dean emeritus of, at Howard University School of Education. Um, the, do, do you write about in in Jim Crow's Pink Slip the uh, were they were there congressional hearings? Uh, about that, and if I can fast forward to where we are today, mm-hmm. 
should there be congressional hearings about this, particularly with you know the committee, you know education committee, and is this something that the Department of Education should be looking into today? Well, yes, there were a series of Senate hearings in 1971, specifically about the displacement of black principals. And um, those Senate hearings helped to contribute to uh, resolution of some lawsuits that were filed uh, on behalf of or by black principals and teachers. I do think that... um, as a nation, we're more engaged in um, the effort to diversify the nation's teaching force. But part of what we need to do, I believe, is acknowledge this history and understand this history and um, realize it as relevant to where we are now. You will still hear individuals say that there's an underrepresentation of Blacks in education because blacks left the profession after Brown because they wanted, they pursued other career opportunities. And that's just, it's not yeah, factual. Yeah. And it, it dissuades from our honest, um, I think, uh, engagement around moving educator diversity, educator workforce diversity forward. And I think too, mm-hmm. part of this conversation is that um, without Black educators um, in the mix of integration in substantive ways, uh, there was an early ushering in of what we now see are corporatist schemes that dominate um, districts serving Black and other students of color Mm -hmm. and students. I only have two minutes left, but industrial schemes, define that for us. Well, vouchers, charters, privatization all have a history in this era of history that I examine in the book. They, I see. Okay. The inventions of these schemes occurred as part of the resistance to Brown, and I document that um, using uh, the Senate hearings, using court cases, um, this was all part of a history of opposition to Brown, to white resistance, to integration at the time. And it still has repercussions. We're still living with kind of the nuclear fallout of that um, resistance to Brown. It, the book is uh, Jim Crow's Pink Slip. Uh, and, and and is the book currently, how can people... Uh, order the book, and then the question is, uh, I'm assuming uh, this is more than just an academic um, uh, book. This is something that teachers and parents should be uh, Mm -hmm. reading. Would that be accurate? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Anyone interested in American history, the history of Brown, black education, civil rights, and education will be interested in reading the book. It's not a textbook. It's written as a scholarly piece, um, but it's accessible to the average reader. And I wrote it with the average reader in mind um, because I wanted to eliminate a myth. The book is published by Harvard Education Press and available on their website or via Amazon. Thanks for asking about that. And it's it's Jim Crow's Pink Slip, 
and the author is Dr. Leslie Fenwick. I have to ask one question as it relates to a current news story to get your opinion as we close mm-hmm. out. Uh, your visceral reaction or your <laughs> educated reaction to what happened in South Dakota, this story of teachers, you know, at this uh, with this effort uh, on the floor of a ice rink, uh, trying to gather, you know, dollar bills to help pay for supplies in their uh, classrooms. Yeah, I'm a former teacher, and I remember uh, paying for things for my students out of my it was at the time a very small paycheck. And um, in short, I don't think it's a good look. And we've got to provide more support for our teachers who are doing essential work. Essential work. Mm-hmm. Dr. Fenwick, appreciate you coming on. And uh, I, I, I hope people will once again go. Uh, it's Harvard uh, Press. And and yes. it's available at Amazon. You can go on Amazon, and the book is Jim Crow's Pink Slip. Thank you for coming on. I so appreciate it. My best to you and the and the entire family. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. You can listen to yours truly, Madison the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel One Twenty Six or anytime on the Sirius XM app.